Hi, I'm attorney Bill Bronchick, and in this lesson, we're going to discuss the basics of foreclosure real estate investing. First, we have to do is identify the foreclosure process that is applicable in your particular state where you're investing. So, in all states, there are basic stages of foreclosure. It starts with a default. That's when the homeowner misses one or more payments, and at some point, maybe make it three months, maybe six months, maybe even more, the bank is going to declare the note payable in full. So between the default and payable in full, there'll be late notices, there'll be warnings, there'll be packages that, uh, that the lender sends to try to get the homeowner to get into some sort of refi or workout program or something like that. And eventually they lose patience and they'll say, that's it, it's payable in full. And then usually within a certain time period after that, about 30 days, they're going to start the foreclosure process. Now, the foreclosure process excuse me, is different from state to state, but there's basically two categories of foreclosure process. In states that use a foreclosure, a mortgage as their, uh, as their security instrument for the note, a regular mortgage, then it'll be a Liz Pendants would be the first process. And what a Liz Pendants is, is that's Latin for notice of pending action. So the lender's attorney will file a list pendants, which is public records, which you can pick up in a list somewhere and find out people who are about to be foreclosed. And then they're served with a summons and complaint. So a summons and complaint, just like every other lawsuit. So in a mortgage state, the process is a lawsuit. It starts with a list pendants, and then a lawsuit is filed right behind that. And then at some point, there is a process of the court. It ends up in an order, a court order, authorizing the sale. And then it goes to an auction. Okay? In a deed of trust state, a deed of trust is basically the same thing as a mortgage, but it's a different type of security instrument used to secure a note. Uh, and a lien against the property. In that type of situation where there's a deed of trust, they're going to do a trustee foreclosure. And that usually involves little or no court intervention. So the two types of foreclosures are judicial involving a court, a mortgage, a list pendant summons and complaint lawsuit, or non-judicial which is a trustee foreclosure. Simply declare the um, note due and payable. You start with a notice of default. Usually it's instead of a list pendants, it's what you call an NOD or notice of default. In Colorado where I live, they call it an NED, notice of election and demand, but it's the same thing. It's an NOD, it's a notice of default. And then they advertise it for a certain number of weeks or months and then put it up again for an auction. In some states, 
you also have to get a court order authorizing the sale, even in a non-judicial foreclosure. So some states there's no court involved, some states there's some court involved, and in mortgage states the court is involved through the whole process. But in the end it's the same thing. You stop making payments, they declare it in full, they start the foreclosure process, whatever that may be, and at some point there's an authorized sale and an auction at the courthouse steps or wherever they do the auction. If nobody bids, or if no one outbids the lender, because the first bidder is always the lender, amount they're owed, and then if someone bids a dollar higher and no one else bids, and that person gets it, otherwise the bank gets the property, and after the auction it is real estate owned, or what we call REO. So that's the basic process. Now some states have what are called redemption rights. A few states have them. And that's the right, even after the sale, to come back and say, wait a minute, I want to pay it all off and get my house back. Now, how much is the payoff? Well, excluding additional interest and court fees and attorney's fees and whatever. You have to pay back basically whoever was the high bid. So if the high bid was the bank, it's that amount plus penalties and interest and so forth. If some other investor bid 20000 more, then that's your redemption amount. Okay? But most states don't have redemption after auction. It's real estate owned. You'll have to check with your particular state and research if there is a redemption period. But that's just a waiting period where the homeowner gets like one last crack at getting his property back. Now, understand the difference between cure and redemption. A cure means you can make up the back payments and reinstate the loan and then go about your business as you did before you defaulted. You can do that in just about every state all the way up until the order authorizing the sale. In some states you have to deal with the trustee, some states you have to deal directly with the bank or their attorneys, but there is a process to cure in most states up to the point of the order authorizing the sale. Once it goes to sale, goes to auction and it's bid, there's no more right to cure. You can only redeem, which is pay up the full amount. Now, you can always redeem any point, right? You can always pay up the full amount and just pay it off by selling or refinancing the property. But to cure means to make up the back payments and put the loan back in place versus paying off the whole thing. Okay, so how do we profit as foreclosure investors in this process. Well, there's so many different ways that I couldn't even explain it to you in one lesson. But let me give you three basic common scenarios that you're going to come across as a foreclosure investor. And one is a someone in foreclosure, a foreclosure seller, a foreclosure person comes to you and they have lots of equity. Meaning what they owe compared to what it's worth, there's a substantial uh, amount of equity in there. Or number two, little or no equity. And number three would be upside down. Those are the three basic scenarios, right? So someone's going to call you up or you're going to call someone who's in foreclosure or come across someone in foreclosure and either they have a lot of equity, 30% you know, or more, Two, they have little or no equity, maybe uh, 10 or 15% or even just break even. Or number three, they're just upside down where the amount they owe is so much more than the house is 
worth on the market, okay? Now, these are all what we call pre-foreclosure scenarios. Now, what's the difference between pre-foreclosure and foreclosure? A lot of people have a difficult time with this and there's no right or right, wrong way to do it, but for the purpose of our discussion, let me make it clear. At any point, up to, from starting from the foreclosure process beginning, the list pendants or the notice of default, all the way up to the auction is what we call pre-foreclosure. Some people call from here before the process pre-foreclosure. I like to call anything up until the auction pre-foreclosure. If you wanted to distinguish it, you could say pre-default or pre-process and then from here to the uh, from here the foreclosure process until the auction um, in foreclosure, it doesn't really matter. But just for our discussion, pre-foreclosure to me means anything prior to the auction. Okay, once it's foreclosed, then the game is over. If you have a redemption right, that's it, or you can buy it from the bank once it's real estate owned. Okay, now, and all these scenarios, one, two, and three, are all prior to the auction sale. So we're dealing in pre-foreclosure. Number one, if they have lots of equity. Well, in that case, it's pretty much just like any other transaction. If they have 50% equity, you pay them a fair price, cash for the house, and at closing, the loan gets paid off instead of, um, as a current loan, as a defaulted loan, plus interest and penalties and everything you know, that's added on to there. So it really isn't much different from any other scenario. There's very few of these, by the way. Most of them are gonna fit in category number two or category number three little or no equity or upside down. So if there's a little bit of equity and the property is a good shape and a good neighborhood, it's got a low interest rate loan, then what you want to do is make a deal with the seller where you can take ownership subject to the existing mortgage, cure it at closing, meaning make up the back payments, and maybe give the seller a little walking money. And again, how much down, how many back payments is worth it, um, what interest rate is acceptable, those are all variables that you'll have to, have to make a judgment call on. But the basic idea is if there's a little bit of equity and a low interest rate loan with a payment that's lower than market rent, then you can just take ownership of the property, cure the back payments, and then rent it out. As a matter of experience, I would say it's, it's a bad idea to rent it back to the homeowner. They're in default for not making payments. You're setting them up for a disaster. So get the homeowner out, get them on their way, give them enough money to move, and then take ownership at closing subject to the existing mortgage, cure it at closing, and then continue making payments going forward. Okay, and then you just rent it out for more than the payment. Even with no equity, even, even Steven, it's worth 300, they owe 300, but if the payment, all-inclusive, is $1,500 a month and you can rent it for $2,000 a month, that's $500 a month positive cash flow. And if it only costs you maybe ten grand to cure the property out of foreclosure, and let's say you gave, um, well, $5,000 to the owner to walk, so you're out fifteen, dollars and you're making 500 times 12, which is uh, $6,000 a year on a $15,000 investment, I'd say you're doing pretty well on that, right? You're doing pretty well. And again, um, the more you make payments on the loan, the more equity you're gonna build up. As rents go higher, you'll make even more cash flow. So the, with the right property, even with no equity, is worth it. 
And then there's upside down property. So it's worth 300, they owe 350, maybe a first and a second mortgage or just one mortgage. Um, then you're looking at a short sale. That's really the only option there. Because you don't want to take a property that's uh, 25, 30% upside down um, with no exit strategy to it other than shorting the loans and then selling the property. Now, even if it is a little upside down, Scenario number two might still work, again, depending on the payment. So let's say the person in foreclosure did a loan modification and the payments are now at 2% interest for the next six years. The rent is um, 2,000 a month market. His payment is 1,200, but it's upside down by $20,000 in equity. Would you still take that one? Depending on how many back payments or depending on how much the seller won, I consider it, I consider because eventually the market values will go up and then the loan balance will go down and it'll correct itself. Especially if you're getting $800 a month in cash flow or times 12, almost $10,000 a year, uh, might be worth it, might be worth it. But you know, every scenario is different. I'm just painting kind of a broad brush for those of you who don't understand the foreclosure process and the opportunities there. There's so much more you can learn about foreclosure investing and the different strategies at the different phases of foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, pre-action, auction, and post-foreclosure that I can't explain it all in a video. So I encourage you to take a look at my short sales and foreclosure investing e-course on legal whiz com legalwiz.com if you have any questions about anything we covered in the video or more information on the course please email me bill at bronchick.com thank you for listening and thank you for watching